Cameron, sorry for screwing you up earlier. <coughs> I'll never make fun of you about that ever again. Um, so probably 10 years ago, I was um, in West Africa on a mission trip. And the whole purpose of the mission trip was to encourage the missionaries who were living in West Africa. So it might sound kind of weird, but um, you know, if you're there for long periods of time, sometimes you're deep in the bush an encouraging week with other believers. Maybe you don't ever even see other believers. So an encouraging week with a missions team that comes and just pours into you can be very refreshing. I'm sure Sam and Kristen can attest to that fact that having other believers around you can be a good thing. Um, So, you know, we did that. We were over there for a week. We were in West Africa in the country of Togo. And other than, you know, hanging out with all these amazing people, all these missionaries, most of them were life missionaries, um, we were able to visit one of the local churches. So on a Sunday, that was my favorite part, they took us out, a small group of us, maybe three or four of us, and we went to this particular church in town. And this is, I, took, I was actually took some pictures when I was there, so that's what the church looked like. Um, it was a little hotter than it is in here right now. Okay, so no complaining. Um, but that was the inside of the church. It started raining at one point. So the kids loved it. There was mud puddles everywhere. There's literally rain coming down in the middle parts of the of the seating, so people are like moving sides as the rain comes down. Um, you know, it's kind of, it was probably exactly like what I expected of a church in the middle of the bush. Um, but one of the guys who was there, um, there was a guy there, named, a missionary named Randy Arnett. Um, and I think I have a picture of him kind of leading the congregation. They asked him to come up and do a baby dedication that day. So that's Randy up there doing the baby dedication. And then he shared some things with the congregation. And I remember sitting there while he was preaching, speaking, And I'm just trying to wrap my mind around what he had done, like what he was doing. He had been there for 18 years, him and his wife at that point, and that was probably 10 years ago. So he'd been there for 18 years, and, you know, I'm sitting there the whole service, and I'm like, okay, could I do that? Could I leave everything I have and go somewhere else? Literally, it doesn't matter if it's Alabama, it doesn't matter if it's Africa. Could I leave what I know, the comforts of what I know, and go somewhere where I'm uncomfortable? So could I do that? Would I do that? You know, it's kind of the progression of the way your mind thinks. And then should I do that? You know, it's just, you kind of run through these different scenarios. And, you know, all good questions, one we should probably ask from time to time. But I left that trip forever changed. You know, if you're going on a mission trip, you probably are changed more than the people who are there most of the time. So I left and I was just like, man, that was, that was life changing probably 10 years ago and I'll think about it probably once a month I'll think back to that church think back to that day where Randy Arnett was up there he was sharing speaking and just kind of the impact that had on me and then in March of this past year I got a a text from a friend of mine who's also a missionary not in Africa but I got a text from a friend who's a missionary and he said hey I don't know many of the details but there was a missionary couple in the Congo who just got in a car wreck it's really serious. There are actually four missionaries in the car, and two of them, you know, are in very serious condition. So I prayed, and, you know, honestly, it's, I don't know anybody in the Congo. I didn't really, th- really think much of it, but I, I prayed about it. And then a few days later, I was on the IMB's website, which is the International Mission Board, one of the missions agencies here in the States. And I was on their website reading through just uh, random articles I had found on Twitter, and I saw this article. This was from March of this year. And it just, I mean, missionaries die from injuries sustained in Africa accident. And so, like, I'm kind of putting two and two together. Okay, that text from my buddy about pray for these missionaries in the Congo. Okay, then it's, okay, it was really them. It was the same people that I was at the church with and spent the week with and got to know and, you know, cared about. And I don't know why, but it, it really shook me. Like, it really, 
and this was just four or five months ago, it, just, it made me like for a week, I was just, con- just chewing on it, thinking about it in my mind. How could, how could this happen? You know, they've been 30 years on the mission field at this point. They're reaching people. They're sacrificing their lives for people. They're planting churches in the blink of an eye. They're gone. Like, it just didn't sit well. Like, I, I know, especially as a pastor, I'm supposed to know these things and be okay with these things, but it just, you know, it just took some wrestling. It didn't sit well. Um, and I kept coming back to a verse, which I find myself coming back to often. Um, Isaiah 55 just says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I, I, I constantly come back to the realization that no matter what happens in life, God is good. may not feel like it in the moment. I may not think it in the moment. But God is good. And he's good all the time. And even when I can't see the end of the road, he's good. You're almost never going to see the end of the road. That's what faith is all about. If you could see the end of the road, it wouldn't take any faith. And that's, that's what life is. It just happens over and over. And so this morning we're going to be in John chapter 11, the first part of John chapter 11. We're going to finish it off next week. Um, Carrie is actually going to share some of his testimony next week as well. Um, so you don't want to miss that. But John chapter 11, the first part of John chapter 11 is really just a somber passage. It's Lazarus is sick. He eventually ends up dying. Like it's not a fun passage to read, but I think it's a necessary passage to read. That's why we preach right through the Bible and we don't skip anything. And so you come to passages like this and it's real. So let's jump in. John 11, 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the story begins in this little village of Bethany, which literally means house of poverty. If you look up the word Bethany, it means house of poverty. It was a small town probably two miles east of Jerusalem. You can look in the Bible in the back on the maps if you really want to know. But I mean, literally, it's almost on top of Jerusalem there in that map. It's just to the sides where Bethany was. Um, And as best we can tell, Jesus spent quite a bit of time there. He rarely spent the night inside the walls of Jerusalem. So if you're looking for a place to get outside of the city to spend the night, a lot of times he would go to Bethany, stay with, probably stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. All right, they were probably like his adoptive family. They're mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. Nobody outside the disciples is mentioned that much. So you knew Jesus cared for them. You can tell by this passage, they cared for Jesus. Um, verse 2, it says, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. And it's an interesting passage because if you're just reading through John, you don't actually see this till, till chapter 12. All right, when we're in chapter 12, you're going to read about the, the, anoint, the, the ointment that's put on Jesus' feet and washed with his hair. So if you're just reading through, you're like, what do you mean? It's the, you know, the Mary that did this, and I don't understand this. But the cool thing about the Bible is John, what we're reading now, was probably one of the last books that was written. Revelation was probably the last, but it was one of the last books that was written. Most scholars think it was written maybe around the 80s, 90s AD. So by that time, Matthew, Mark, even Luke had been going around circulating the churches, circulating the early Christians for a long time. So then they get this book of John, and they would have been reading through this book of John, and they would have got to chapter 11, and then when he, when he specifies, he said, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with the ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Then they would have been like, oh, okay, that Mary, I got it. You know, for us, just reading John, if you've never read through it, you're like, 
I don't even know what story you're talking about. For, for, the, for the early readers, it would have made a lot of sense. So um, Jesus knows the family. The family knows Jesus. Verse 3, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. This message goes out. And if you recall from last week at the end of chapter 10, Jesus was, what the passage said, beyond the Jordan. Okay, he was beyond the Jordan where John the Baptist started his ministry. Jesus kind of went beyond the Jordan and was ministering. John 10, 40 says he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And verse 42 says, and many believed in him there. I think we have another map. I like maps. Um, Jordan River goes right through the middle of the screen. So you got Jerusalem a little bit to the, to the left, to the west. And Jesus would have been over across the Jordan. So Bethany's right next to Jerusalem. You've, got, you've probably got about a day's journey from where Bethany is. So they sent this messenger. They sent this message to Jesus. Jesus is over ministering beyond the Jordan. So it would have taken about a day for that message to get to him. And you can picture how it happens if you're the messenger. You're trying to find Jesus. You're running. You're asking people, hey, where's, where's Jesus? I got to get him a message. You know, there's no texting. There's nothing like that. You're literally asking people where to go. So he's making his way through. He probably sees all the crowds. Okay, there, there he is, obviously. There's all those crowds. He makes his way in. He's cutting through the crowds. He sees the disciples around Jesus teaching. People are coming to faith in Christ, understanding he's the Messiah. Pushes through the crowds, and he says, Lord, this is a message, the whole message. He whom you love is ill. That's the message. He whom you love is ill. They got one shot. They got one message, one chance, one thing to send to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's what they sent. I would have probably gone with something a little different, but that's what they went with. That was their message to Jesus. That's what they sent them. All right, and it seems weird on the surface, but it's such a great statement. They're not demanding. They're not angry. They're not saying, you got to get over here right now. They're, not, they're approaching him with humility. Lord, he whom you love is ill. They're showing dependence on the Lord. And, and here's the other thing I love. This message isn't based on the fact that Lazarus loves Jesus. It's based on the fact that Jesus loves Lazarus. He whom you love is ill. All right? And it's, it's, it's really profound because how we normally send messages to God, how we normally pray to God is, you know, Lord, I love you so much. Will you please do this in my life? Like we talk a lot about love, but it's more our love for God. There's nothing wrong with that. We should express our love for God. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, I love you. Please come to my rescue. You know, Lord, I've been reading my Bible regularly. Please, you know, work on my behalf. Lord, I've been coming to Creekside for six weeks now. And I, you know, I want you to listen to my prayers. It, it, they, we, we tend to be, and again, there's nothing wrong with this, but it tends to be very about, I love you. And the difference in the verbiage here is, he says, Lord, we know that you love Lazarus. That's the message that they sent. It's different. He said, Lord, I'm coming to you in prayer again. Lord, you know how much I love you. So please grant me this one request. That's one version. Lord, you know how much I love you. So please grant me this one request. The flip side is, Lord, I'm coming to you again in prayer. You know, I know how much you love me. So please grant me this one request. And it's, you might say it's verbiage, it's nothing, it's, you know, technicality. Is there anything wrong with loving Jesus? No. Should we love Jesus? Absolutely. Should we express to Jesus how much we love him? Absolutely. But God does not, let me say this again, God does not pursue you because you love him. 
God pursues you because he loves you. Does that make sense? It's, God's pursuit of you is not based on how much you love him. His pursuit of you is he loves you. He loves you. And that's why he pursues you. All right, the story of the Bible is not, you know, that we love God so much that he sent his son. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he loved you so much that he sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. And it's, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to get technical. I'm not trying to say you can't pray and say, Lord, we love you. Nothing like that. I want you to understand that God loves you. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what your past looks like. God loves you. And he moves on your behalf because of that love. And that's super important. If you're burdened, send Jesus a message like they did. Pray. Pray to the Lord and say, Lord, the one that you love is hurting. I know you love me. The one that you love is hurting and I need you to move on my behalf. Lord, the one that you love needs help and I need you to move. Lord, the one you love lost, lost his job. I lost my job. I need your help. I need you to move on my behalf. It's, and I, I just, I love the fact of the way they word that message. And it, here's the deal. The answer that you get may not be the answer you want. The answer you get may not be the answer you want, but I promise you he will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll be your rock. He'll be your shield. He'll be your comforter. Every step of the way. All right, be encouraged this morning that God's love for you is not based on how good you are. That should be encouraging. (laughs) Because we're not good, right? God's love for you is not based on how good you are. It's based on how good he is. And that's an important truth. So the sisters send this message. They say, Lord, the one that you love is ill. And Jesus is over ministering beyond the Jordan, as we just said. And this is what Jesus does. It says, but when Jesus heard it, heard the message, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, we read that again. This illness does not lead to death. Essentially, this illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Remember a few weeks ago, there was a man born blind, John 9. Remember that story, the man who was born blind? And the disciples, they come out of the temple and disciples look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Remember that? And Jesus looks at him and says, nobody sinned. Nobody sinned. He's blind so that I could be glorified. I could heal him on this day and be glorified. This man who, who knows how old he was, could have been 30 years old. This man has been blind for 30 years. Think about the blind man. 30 years. So when Jesus walked out of the temple on that day, in that moment, he could look over at that man and say, you're healed. Like, I empathize with the blind man. Seriously? It's a lesson? It's a theological lesson. You know, that's what I am. But the blind man didn't care. He was happy he had a sight. He was happy that he could see again. And that's exactly what's going on here. All right? The illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. All right, and then Jesus takes it a step ver- further in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her, sister Lazar- and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he ran as fast as he could all the way to Bethany and healed his friend Lazarus. I added that part in there. That's not real. <laughs> um, some of you don't know that, but that's not real. <laughs> some of you need to read your Bible more so you know that's not real. Um, I added that part. Here's what the real part says. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus keep messing it up. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, 
he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It doesn't say, now Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but he stayed two days longer. It says Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he stayed two days longer. I love you, so I'm going to delay. I love you, so I'm not going to answer your prayers right now. Try to wrap your mind around that. I love you, so I'm going to delay. You mean Jesus loves me so much that he's allowing pain in my life. He's allowing suffering in my life. He loves me so much that he purposely delayed in answering my prayer. And maybe it didn't get answered at all. Sounds crazy, right? Let me let, me let you in a little secret on timing and delay. All right, Jesus hasn't, isn't as concerned with time as he is with his timing. His timing is more important than time. The way he sees the world, the way he operates is more important than what I think is best. Because his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And his ways are higher than my ways. Does he have the ability to heal? Absolutely. Could he have said, Lazarus, you're healed. I'm way over here across the Jordan. You're healed. He could have healed him before the messenger even got there. Right? But he didn't. And he could have. Tony Evans says, we should never view our illness as a waste of time or a worthless experience. In fact, we can be sure that God has allowed our illness or our pain or our suffering for his eternal and spiritual purposes. In light of that biblical truth, we should never ask why me in our suffering, but instead for what purpose has God allowed this to happen? There's a purpose to your pain. There can be a purpose to your suffering. Carrie, there's no doubt in my mind when you walked out of Lakeland Regional Hospital, there were a lot of people that were like, God, God did something big here. Like, there's no doubt the people that were impacted by Carrie's stay in the hospital, and not only that, but the family who constantly kept coming around him and praying for him and caring for him, and people's lives were changed by the things that Carrie went through, and you'll hear more about that next week. And sometimes it's hard to see that. Sometimes it's not fun to be the person who has to go through the pain or goes through the pain or the suffering. That's not fun. I mean, think about Lazarus. It's a great story that we're out to see next week. It's a good thing that Jesus is going to do, but Lazarus died. He died. Now, Jesus is going to raise him from the dead next week, but he died. And, that, and Jesus says, you know, this was for a purpose. So, 11-7. Um, then after, after they stayed for two days, so it says, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? It's clear the disciples aren't too keen on going over near Jerusalem, Bethany, where they just about got stoned in chapter 10. They don't want to go anywhere near it. They're actually glad that Jesus delayed two days, probably, because they're like, okay, for once he stayed put. For once he didn't walk right into the nest of the hornets and stir things up. Like, this is, we're glad he stayed put across the Jordan in the safe area. And then Jesus looks at him again after two days and says, let's go. All right, we're going to go. Verse verse 9. Because they said, are you going to go there again? Verse 9, he answers with a proverb. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So the Jew, the Jewish day, unlike our day of 24 hours, had 12 divisions. And they weren't even necessarily equal divisions. And they would call them hours in a day. And you see these references throughout scripture. So when Jesus says, are there not 12 hours in a day? You're like, no, there's not. Well, this was 
in their world, there was. It was just kind of the way it worked. So like you've read Mark when Jesus is hanging on the cross, Mark says he was hung on the cross at the third hour. It wasn't 3 a.m. It was just that was the way that their, their math worked. So Jesus takes this 12-hour day and then couples it with his statement he made a few chapters ago about being the light of the world and kind of says this proverb like Jesus does that sometimes everybody who's sitting there listening to him is like, what did he just say? I don't really understand what he just said. Basically saying you can't lengthen the daylight. You can't shorten the daylight. You can try as hard as you want, but the day and the night are fixed. You can do everything you want to change that and it's not going to happen. And basically what he's saying is he knew that his time was coming, but he also knew his time was allotted by God and nothing was going to change that. The disciples could be as scared as they wanted. You can walk into conflict. You can do anything you want. And Jesus knew there is nothing that is going to change where I go, what I do, the fact that I'm going to hang on a cross and nothing's going to change that. This, it is what it is. It's going to happen. The disciples are all worried about getting stoned. Jesus says, let's go. All right. Jake always says, you're safer sharing Jesus on a street corner in Afghanistan being obedient to what he's called you to do than driving down Dale Mabry avoiding what he's called you to do. Think of Jonah, you know. He always says, you're safer. On a st- if God's called you to go share the gospel in Afghanistan and that's what you do, you're better off right there than saying, I'm not doing it and being in Tampa. Ignoring what he wanted you to do. That's just, I mean, and that's what Jesus is saying. He says, let's go. Nothing's going to happen to us. My, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And you're going to see when he gets in the garden, he says, the hour has come. The time has come. Like it's, that's, it's the moment that we've been waiting for. All right, John, or verse 11. After saying these things, he said to him, our friend Lazarus, who's obviously a friend of the disciples, has fallen asleep. He goes, I go to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So the disciples still want to stay put. They don't want to go. Lord, he's sleeping. Let's not worry about it. He's going to wake up later on. Let's not go. And so Jesus says to them plainly in verse 14, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. All right, read that, read that verse again. Verse 14, actually verse 15. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now we're, we're less than six months from the cross at this point. Less than six months from the cross. Jesus' disciples have been with him for over two years. They've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of miracles. And Jesus looks at him and goes, I'm glad that we weren't there. I'm glad he died for your sake so that you may believe. Wouldn't you assume they already believed? I mean, I realize some things were maybe veiled from their understanding at that point. But if I'm walking with the Messiah and I've seen thousands of miracles, all these things happen. And Jesus says, I'm glad that you, you know, you're going to see this. That way you'll believe. All right. They needed their faith, just like you and I need our faith, to be strengthened. And then strengthened some more. And then strengthen some more. And then strengthen some more. And sometimes that strengthening isn't fun. Sometimes the things that God uses and the way he uses to strengthen our, strengthen our faith is not enjoyable. But God is always pulling you, pushing you into his, into his love for you to understand who he is, understand how much he cares about you. And everything God, has, everything God does has the ability to, to strengthen your faith. Everything. Everything that happens in your life has the ability to strengthen your faith. Every circumstance, every joy, every heartbreak, you go one way or the other. You get a heartbreak, you either run this way or you run this way. You either run to Jesus or you run away. It may not be fun, 
But when you run to Jesus, there might be pain, there might be heartache, you might be mad, you might be, you know, it might be frustrating, but your faith is going to be strengthened because you realize how much of a comforter is. You realize how he comforts you, his rod, his staff. You realize, man, I, I, thank God I didn't go the other way. Thank God I didn't run in that direction. Um, you know, Monday night I'm going to walk into my garage, I'm going to get my trash cans, I'm going to take him down to the road for the trash man on Tuesday. Courtney's wondering where this is going. She's giving me the look. Um, taking out my trash can build my faith in God. Because when you got trash, it means you got provision. If you got trash, you got food. If you got trash, you got household things in your house that you need, that you buy, that God's providing. Sometimes the things are so easy just to look over. It's trash. Who cares about trash? And every single thing, if you're looking through the lens of the gospel, everything, that, everything in your life can point you to God. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I do it all the time. I'm just reminding you, reminding me that everything in our lives can push us closer to God. All right, verse 16. You got this guy, Thomas. Thomas the doubter. Thomas called the twin. Said to his fellow disciples, let us all go that we may die with him. So the disciples are convinced they're going to die. They're going near Jerusalem. Now, he didn't say, let's get out of here so we don't die. He could have said that. I probably would have said that. All right, Jesus, you go do your thing. I'm going to go this way so I don't die. I mean, he at least understood the fact that he might die. And he said, all right, let's go. Let's go. Disciples, let's go. Let's go. We're going to die. Let's go. I mean, he's got, he's got a little bit of faith to say, let's be obedient. Let's follow. And he's willing to die for it. So verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console, to console them concerning their brother. So when they get close to Bethany, they find out that Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now, that time frame may seem insignificant to just us being normal readers, but it's important for a couple reasons. Four days is important. One, the Jews believed, and this isn't in Scripture, but the Jews believed, you know, they had these own, their own little superstitions, if you will. They believed that the Spirit hovered over the person for two to three days after death. Okay? They just believed that two to three days after death, the Spirit would hover over the body for a couple days, and then someday, time during that third day, the Spirit would just say, I'm out of here, and flee the person. Okay, so for everyone who's at the funeral, again, not that it changes much, but for everyone who's at the, at the funeral, you're into that third day, it, it's not good. And then you go to that fourth day, and it was a big deal. And it's not like people were getting raised all over Israel, and Mary and Martha were seeing all kinds of resurrections, but you have to imagine in the back of Mary and Martha's mind, they're like, okay, I know if Jesus can come, I don't care that he's dead, as long as his spirit's still there. If Jesus comes in time and Jesus raises him from the dead, everything's going to be fine. Like, you know that's what they're thinking. And then day four comes, and they probably think all hope is lost. His spirit's gone. Even if Jesus gets here now, what can he do? Like I, you know, you, you have to put yourselves in their shoes. And you know, that four day also is important because the Jews didn't embalm the body. You know, the Egyptians, they did everything they could to make sure to preserve the body. We still find mummies in Egypt that are partially preserved. But the Jews, they just wrapped spices around, around the body, and that was it. Okay, and so Lazarus would have been placed in some kind of cave. There were lots of caves around Jerusalem. He'd been placed in some kind of cave on a shelf of sorts. Day four comes around, all hope's gone. So Jesus and disciples are getting close to Bethany. Verse 20, it says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
Some of my favorite verses in the whole chapter. Listen, listen to what she says. Listen to like her prayer, her plea. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you feel her pain? You ever felt like that? Lord, if you had been here, my wife wouldn't have left me. If you had been here for me, my, life, my wife wouldn't have left. My husband wouldn't have left. If you'd answered my prayers, I'd been able to have kids. But we can't. If you just listened to me, I wouldn't have lost my job. I wouldn't have lost my dad. I wouldn't have lost my mom. You ever felt that? You ever felt that pain, questioning God, wondering why he didn't answer your prayer, wondering what happened? I mean, that's, that's essentially what she's doing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Personally, I think one of the most difficult paths to walk as a believer is unanswered prayer. Like I, when you see God move or you don't see God move, and you just have to trust his plan. Because that's in reality what it is. You go one way or you go the other. You didn't see him move. You didn't see him answer prayer. You didn't see him heal. And all of a sudden, what do you do? That unanswered prayer, if you're not careful, can linger in the back of your mind and it can cause doubts. You have to place your trust in God and know that his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your their ways. And if you think about it, in this moment, Mary and Martha had lost all trust, all hope. I don't know about trust, but all hope. And what makes it wor- here's what makes it worse in their, in their situation. I'm not saying your situation's not bad. I'm not saying my situation's not bad. Here's what makes it worse in their situation. They saw Jesus heal all the time. They lived it. Tens of thousands of people being healed. And the one time they asked Jesus to move on their behalf, nothing happens. The one time. And he even said, because I love you, I'm going to stay away. What's up with that? Like, I mean, think about it. They probably had shared hundreds of meals with disciples coming in from the day. Hey, what'd you guys see today? Oh, Jesus did this. Jesus did this. Oh, Jesus, you know, man, that blind man. Did you see that blind man? He went down, he spit in that mud. He put it on. Did you see that? Came, I mean, Day after day after day after day. They hear miracle after miracle and healing after healing and they see all this kind of stuff. He'd already raised two people from the dead at this point. So he'd seen, they'd seen all these things happen and they're sitting in the middle of a funeral. So here's what Martha says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And if you're not careful, you can miss those three little words right in the middle of the verse. Some of the most important words to your faith. But even now. You see those three words right in the middle? But even now. It's faith no matter the circumstance. It's faith no matter what happens. It's faith even when prayers aren't answered. All right, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You're hoping for these things. You're seeing these things off in the distance. And that's, that's what faith is. You're building them on Christ. You're building them on heaven. You're building them on the future. You're building them on the cross. And it's like, you know, God, if you had just answered my prayers, I wouldn't be going through this. But even now, I know you have a plan. All hope is lost, but I know you have a plan. Some of you need to take those three words, but even now, and get him tattooed somewhere, you know, on your arm and your wrist. Write him down every day, just, but even now. Lord, my life sucks right now, but even now. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. Some of you feel like you got punched in the face, but even now. 
I know you're in control. I know you're God. I know you're good. I know your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. The doctors say I'm dying, but even now, I know you're the healer. I know I just lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family, but even now I know you can provide. My marriage, gone. Toast. There's no way that thing's being healed. But even now, I know you can restore. And I mean, you can fill in the blank. You can do, I mean, personalize it for you because everybody in this room has a but even now moment currently in your life. I guarantee you. And that's what, that's what Martha says. It's rock bottom and still knowing God is good. If you put it together in the context of this whole passage, it like, goes something like this. Jesus, the one you love, needs help. And it doesn't look good, but even now, I trust you. Even now, I know you're good. You're in a hopeless situation. All right? And those three words can be some of the most important words to your faith. Now, you'll, you'll, you'll show them in your actions, but sometimes you just need to say them. Sometimes you need to verbalize them to the Lord. Lord, I don't know how life can get any better, but even now, I know you're who you say you are. It's faith despite circumstances. So verse 23, as we wrap up, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, to, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus looks at Martha, he looks at you, he looks at me. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the answer to everything you've been looking for. I am the answer to all your pain. I am the answer to all your sorrows. I am the answer to all your heartbreak. I'm the one who walks with you. I'm the one that comforts you. All right? The one who believes in me, that's what he says, will never die. Death is not the end. It's like this split-second transition. Right? It's a split-second transition to eternity. Every human being will live forever. It's, I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the one. You want to come to the Father? Come through me. All right? And here's the thing. No amount of, for the Pharisees, the Jews, the people living in this day and age, they thought the law was going to get them to heaven. They thought their works were going to get to heaven. They thought the things they did up here were going to get them to heaven. They had no relationship with God. And so Jesus is really looking at the whole crowd and saying, okay, the law, okay, great, you're doing the law. Okay, great, great, you're doing that, you're doing that. I am the resurrection and the life. And a few chapters later, John 14 is going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he's laying that groundwork. This is one of the last miracles he's going to do in the book of John. It's the grand finale. He does seven throughout the book. This is like the grand finale. What he's going to do next week. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Okay, but this week, first half of the chapter, it's pain. It's somber. doesn't look good. It looks like all hope is lost. And Jesus basically tells that crowd he is the path to eternity. So he looks at Martha and he goes, do you believe this? The end of verse 26. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So how about you? Do you believe? During the good times? And during the bad times, through pain, through suffering, do you believe that God is who he says he is? 
Trust his plan for your life. Trust his purpose for your life. I mean, I, th- I think sometimes, at least for me, I think I forget that this isn't heaven. I want it to be heaven. You know, I want things to go great. I want things to be perfect. I want there to be no sickness. I want there to be no death. I want there to be... This isn't heaven. And I, I think I've, I find myself wondering that all the time. Well, why, why, why can't this be better? Why can't this be better? Why can't this do this and this and this? And I had this ex- expectation for perfection. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it was like... It just sent off this, you know, sin just sparked this pain, heartache in this world. That's what happened, all right? You ever notice the Bible doesn't really deal with the problem of evil? I mean, it does on the, on the bigger structure. But people aren't, like, wondering, why, why did this happen to me? Why did, why did this happen? It's, I mean, I think a lot of people in the Bible, they just, there's the expectation that life is going to punch you in the face. And you see, that, I mean, we see it. We know it, and in Scripture, there was just this expectation. They're not dumbfounded when it, when it happens, right? Instead, they step back and say, God's in control. They're in awe of his power. They're in awe of his mercy. They're in awe of his goodness and the way he comforts and the way he cares for. And that's, that would be my encouragement for you today. Look, if, if you can do this, this is how I would wrap up and just say, look above your circumstances. I know it's easier said than done. Trust God to care for you in whatever circumstances you're in and look above and focus your, focus your gaze on him. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. It's such a great reminder that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Um, I'm going to close with a story. I like reading biographies. Um, especially Christian biographies, you know, just, and they're encouraging. I was reading one not too long ago on a guy named Adoniram Judson. Anybody ever heard of him? Um, he's not like a super popular, he's a missionary in Asia in the 1800s. Adoniram Judson. Um, and he experienced a pretty radical conversion around his 20s, and then he got married. At 24, he got married to a gr- young girl named Anne. She was 23. And 14 days after they were married, they set sail for India. That's your... Uh, that's your honeymoon gift, right? You get, all right, let's get married. 14, two weeks later, let's go to India and spend the rest of our lives in India. So they set sail for India. Um, and really, he wouldn't come back for 33 years. Um, Adoniram wouldn't. And eventually the couple, they, they got to India, they landed in India, they did some ministry, and they decided to move up to Burma. So they moved up to Burma. Um, she got pregnant while they were in India. And on, as they were traveling from India to Burma, she actually gave birth and the child died in childbirth. Right? And so, I mean, the life, I mean, I'm just, I'm reading this and my mind is like, oh man, how does this happen? How does this happen to these people? Like, how do they press on? How does this keep going? I mean, those are the things that are going through my head. And so, you know, over the course of those next couple years, they would have three kids. All three would end up dying. Um, they, when they had been there for probably six or seven years, Adoniram gets arrested and he gets put in this prison. They hang him upside down by bamboo and they torture him daily. They hang him upside down every night. He's in there for 17 months. His wife's pregnant at the time. She would come to visit him and try to convince the jailers that, look, he's not a spy. He's not who you think he is. You know, we're fine. She came every single day, pregnant, walked like two, three miles. It's 100, 110 degree weather. She, you know, malaria was everywhere. She was getting really malnourished. Finally, you know, the child was born. He was still in prison. Like, she couldn't, wasn't even healthy enough to breast, breastfeed him. So the jailer would actually let Adoniram take the baby every night. And he'd go to the local village and he'd try to just find some lady who could feed his child. And this, I mean, this would go on for all 17 months. Finally, he was released and their daughter, Maria, was the one that was born. And by the time he was released from prison, you know, she was 
beyond repair. She died like six months later. The child died like six months. I mean, I'm reading this story and I'm like, literally, if Courtney had walked around the corner, I'm like weeping and I'm just, and she would have wondered what in the world's going on because I just can't, like I, I can't wrap my, rind, my mind around it sometimes. All right, he, he literally lived, he ended up being over there until he was 61 years old. Came home one time. He would marry three women over the course of his time there. Two of them would die while they were there. He had 13 kids. Six of those 13 kids died in, chi- like in childhood while he was there. This was his life. Okay, 61, he gets really, really sick. And they, they say, we're going to take him home. Like, we just we can't be sick anymore. He can't even communicate. We're going to send him back to America, try to get him well. So they leave the coast of Burma. And their, you know, their boat is just, it's not like a missionary boat or anything, just a regular cargo ship. And they take him over and he dies within like 100 miles from Burma. And they just put him in a coffin, record the latitude, the longitude, push him out in the sea. Make note of it, the boat goes on to France. That was his life. And I'm reading this biography and I'm just like, was it worth it? Like the pain, the suffering, the heartache he must have gone through in those 61 years of life. Like, you know, you wonder, God, was it, was it worth it? And, you know, by the time he died, there was probably 100 converts in Burma. A couple hundred converts. 30 plus years, a couple hundred. I mean, I'm, I'm glad those people are going to heaven, but was it, was it like, you know, I'm just, again, this is just me processing, being transparent with you guys. It was, it was hard to understand. But then I kept reading on and it said that the, the one thing he's known for is he translated the entire Bible into the Burmese language. That's what he did while he was there. And today, there's a 1.9 million people in Burma who can trace their spiritual roots back to him. 1.9 million people. And if you asked him then, you like your life, dude? He'd probably have been like, no. <laughs> you know, there's pain, there's suffering, there's heartache. It's tough at times, but he was living for something else. He was living for eternity. And he knew that the pain was there, that it was going to be tough, and he didn't understand it at times, but he knew God was his rock. He knew God was his comforter. You know, I read through his journals that were in the book, and it was just all these times where God, like, wrapped his arms around him, not literally, but just encouraged him along the way. And, you know, 150 years has passed. If you went to him in heaven right now and said, hey, Adoniram, do you, did you think you would live your life differently? Like, no way. He said, I'd have lived with the pain for another 30 years to spend eternity in heaven and have given my life for the gospel. And I just, I want to encourage you as we, as we close, as we wrap up, just to know that you will find yourself, if you're not there now, you will be in situations and positions where life just punches you in the face. It'll happen to everybody in this room. Every single person in this room. And know that God is there for you. You put your faith in him, a relationship with him. You could probably sit down with Sam and Kristen and say, man, tell us about the heartaches you've had over the last two years. And what they'll tell you is, maybe they'll tell you about the heartaches, but they'll tell you more so how God was there. How God was the comfort, how God answered prayers, how God encouraged them and lifted them and sent them people and sent them prayers. And I mean, that's, the, that's what God does. Spend the rest of your life, spend the rest of your time on earth focused on him. Doesn't mean you gotta move to Alabama. Doesn't mean you gotta move to Africa. You can live in Lutz and give your life for the kingdom. Give your life for the gospel. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. 
And we know you love us. Lord, and there are things that happen in our lives that we just can't explain. We don't understand. We may never understand. But we know that your ways are higher than our ways. Lord, that you are the creator. You are sovereign over creation. Lord, that that you have a plan for all of us. You have a plan for our lives. And that plan at time includes pain, pain that we can't explain. Unanswered prayers. And we don't know why they weren't answered. But Lord, that you are good. And you are good all the time. And when we're in situations like Martha and Mary and they've lost their brother, that you're there. And you're there to comfort, you're there to love, and you're there to encourage. Lord, we love you and we thank you in your name. Amen.